We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, you can turn to Hebrews 6. We're going to be jumping around several places this morning, building a case, if you will, uh, trying to discover what God's Word says about a very important question that many people have. Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to start in verses 1 through 8. Uh, We'll look at verse 9 a little later, and then we're going to be several different places in the New Testament, including uh, a lot of the Gospels. So have your Bible handy. You can follow along if you can kind of flip back and forth. Maybe jot notes. The passages will be up on the screen as well. This morning's message is entitled, Walking Away, and it really asks a very important question. Is it possible... To be a believer in Jesus Christ and abandon your faith. Is it possible to truly put your faith and trust in Christ as Savior and then somehow abandon or lose that faith? There are two prominent evangelical, that is, uh, Bible-believing, leading men who recently, within the last month, have done such a thing. One is a a man named Joshua Harris. If you've heard of him, it's because uh, you were probably a believer sometime in the mid-90s. He wrote a very popular book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Now, it sounds like a real uh, exciting book, doesn't it? The whole premise of his book was Christian courtship. No longer are you dating one-on-one relationships, but instead finding the right person and finding the right spouse and And really, whether you agree with that premise or not doesn't matter for this morning's message. The important thing was he was a very prominent leader, pastor of a church, for a long time, an outspoken individual for the faith. He he recently, within the last month or so, has announced that he is uh, splitting from his wife. They're getting a divorce. That was sad enough, but a few days later, he shared that he no longer believed the truths that he taught for so long, not just about his book, but about his faith in God in general. He wasn't even sure whether all that he had taught for the last two decades was something he believed any longer. He spent a long time apologizing to people who he might have led astray. He apologized to certain groups of people who he may have isolated or judged. And he made a very declarative statement that he no longer considered himself, these are his words, by his own definition, no longer considered himself a Christian. It wasn't but maybe a week or two later that a a prominent worship leader out of the church Hillsong, we sing many Hillsong songs here, as a matter of fact, uh, we have several that we love dearly that are written by the church Hillsong. A prominent worship leader and writer of even some of those songs we sang, again on social media, posted a lengthy statement about how he he just couldn't get over the evidence of science and it has influenced him away from a belief in God and the Bible. And so he he leaves this long-lasting statement about how although he wrote godly Christian songs for so many years, many of them, he just could no longer go on believing what he now defined as a lie. Maybe you know people like this. Maybe not so prominent in the news, but maybe someone who's been in church their whole life, grown up in church, or or maybe at least spent a significant amount of time serving the church. And yet now today, they're, they're nowhere to be found. 
One of the men in my life who influenced me into ministry was a man named Eddie. And I say a man, I was in in high school, early high school, freshman, sophomore year. He was a few years older than me, and, and Eddie was called into ministry. He became a Christian because his girlfriend went to our church, and he surrendered to Christ as he started coming. And not only did he surrender to Christ, but he surrendered to ministry himself. I'll never forget a sermon he preached on putting on the full armor of God. And, and as someone early uh, leaning towards the Lord, where are you calling me to do? I remember seeing Eddie preach this sermon. I remember thinking, if, if Eddie can do this and God can change his life, certainly God can use me as well. As life kind of unfolded, um, Eddie and his girlfriend went off to college and kind of went their separate ways. And, and after they broke up, he, he no longer had something kind of pulling him to a church and he let his life slip into addiction. And the last I had heard of Eddie, after this great sermon and, and leadership he provided in our youth group and in our church, he was a very outspoken atheist. I don't even believe in God any longer. Maybe for you it's, it's friends of yours who sat next to you in church and now you, you wish they'd come back but the lifestyle they're leading just doesn't seem to line up with what Scripture says. Maybe it's one of your, your children, a son or a daughter who, who you know was raised in the faith and now, now it feels like they've abandoned it. Maybe it's a sibling who, who you have spent so much time discussing biblical things, maybe even serving with them, only to see that they've, they've drifted and they no longer have Christ as a priority in their life. We have to ask ourselves the question, is it possible to be a believer in Jesus Christ? Is it possible for us to, to experience salvation and then one day decide to walk away and leave it behind? This was an issue that the, the writer of Hebrews wants to address in Hebrews chapter 6. Now, it's a, a very important uh, piece of information to know the context of the book of Hebrews. Before we read chapter 6, before we answer this question, we must understand what the theme of the entire book is. And if you were going to sum up the book of Hebrews, you could sum it up this way. Jesus Christ is better. As a matter of fact, the first few chapters, that phrase is repeated often. Jesus is better than the angels. Don't worry about all the miraculous things angels can do. Jesus Christ can do more. Jesus Christ is, is better than this Old Testament figure, Melchizedek. He was a, a priest and a king who the Hebrew people looked to as kind of this blending of, of being a, a king or a lord on earth and being a priest communicating with God. Jesus is better Jesus is better than, than the saints. Jesus is better than the sacrificial system. Jesus is better than, than your previous way of life. Jesus can do for you what everything else cannot. And that's the theme of Hebrews. The problem is, as, as the writer of Hebrews is pinning this, the, the people he is writing to are at a crossroads. Many of them are believers in Christ. They've put their faith and trust in him, but they miss their old Jewish lifestyle. Oh, if we could just go back to the way things used to be. So many of them are debating, do we need to, to reintroduce animal sacrifices? Do we, do we need to put such a strong emphasis on circumcision and, and the way it leads to salvation? Do we really want to embrace all of the newness that comes with Jesus? Or can we go back to the way things used to be? Many of them are a crossroads of, of preparing to walk away. And it's in this context that the writer of Hebrews says, no, 
Christ is better than your old way of life. And then he gives a warning. Let's read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 9 together. We're going to read this warning. Let's read verses 1 through 8. We're going to read this warning and then unpack some confusing language in it and make sure we're understanding of what it means to be saved in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. By the way, does this remind you, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, that some things that Paul maybe has written to us in the book of 1 Corinthians? We talked about leaving the simple things and growing in our faith in Christ. The writer of Hebrews says that. Let's, let's put aside those elementary ways of thinking, not laying a foundation of repentance. These are the, the elementary things, this foundation of repentance, this trust in Christ. Repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, or some translations say baptism the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He says these are all basic things that we already talked about. Okay, Let's set those aside for a minute and let's go a little deeper. We'll do this if God permits. He says it is impossible. This is one of the deeper teachings. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up in contempt. And he gives an illustration. For the land has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. In other words, those who have received the rain, the blessing from God, and are producing fruit, they're the ones who you know are believers. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. In other words, if you don't see fruit in a person's life, if the the blessing of God falls on them and there's nothing to show for it, that's evidence that they are not believers in Christ. As we read Hebrews chapter 6, it's really easy to ask the question, can you walk away? Read this passage and say, it sounds like many have, right? And the warning then, if you interpret that, is that if you walk away from the faith, it would be impossible to return. That's scary for us, isn't it? Because we know people. All of us have an eddy. And if we were to interpret that it is possible to walk away from genuine saving faith, we would have to believe then that there is no hope for a second chance. This morning, I think it's important to answer the question before we dig into the rest of Scripture. The answer to the question, is it possible to have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ? Believe fully that Jesus Christ is both Savior of your sins and Lord of your life to give your life wholly to God. Is it possible then to lose or walk away or abandon that faith, the answer is a resounding and glorious no. Praise be to God that you cannot lose that salvation. So what is the writer of Hebrews telling us? We use this temporary words, right? It's important to realize that. Those who have experienced but not fully devoted to. Those who have tasted but not fully consumed those who have been a part of but not fully immersed, 
Those people who have heard about the good news and have shown signs of it, but have never fully immersed themselves in faith in Christ. Those who fall away, boy, it's awfully difficult for them to come back. It's a warning then to all of us. It's a warning to the people of Hebrews, and it's a warning to the people of First Baptist Church. Don't abandon that faith. You'll find it very difficult to humble yourself and come back. I want to share this morning why I think it's important that we know that we cannot lose our salvation. And how I know is because all throughout the New Testament, it teaches us it's impossible. It is not even in the realm of possibility that you would be saved and would lose it. Apostasy was nothing new. That's a fancy word for leaving the faith. As a matter of fact, we read about it all throughout the New Testament. 1 John warns us that there are some people that appear to be believers and walk away. And listen to how he describes them in 1 John 2.9. You can jot this reference down to read later as well. They went out from us. They left the church. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. There's a real danger that there are people in the church who are not genuine believers. It's not only a danger, it's a reality. Can I share with you here at First Baptist Church, I can't do a quick count of how many people are here this morning. If there's 90 of us, 100 of us here this morning, I tell you I'm 100% sure that there is somebody sitting here who walked in this morning with a false assurance that they're a believer in Christ. There's a danger that, that they confess, Lord, Lord, and sing songs and, and do things, but, but ultimately, ultimately they fall away. You can look to your right and to your left, and I can promise you that here in a few weeks, even as short a time as maybe, maybe just a, a couple of Sundays, there'll be somebody who, who's sitting here today who won't be sitting here and won't want to come back. It's evidence, John tells us, that if they go out and don't return, it it seems like that's evidence that they they were never really truly committed to their faith in Christ. There's two great applications, and as we, we look at this truth that you cannot walk away, you cannot lose your salvation, there's two great applications. One will result in praise, and one will result in brokenness. And so let's look at how we know that we are secure in our faith this morning and then look at those two modes of application. If you're taking notes, you can write this down in your bulletin. The first way we know our salvation is secure is because it depends on God. You can even add to that, not us. Your salvation is secure because it depends on God, not on you. If you've put your faith in Christ, it's not because you're a good person that He loves you and saves you. It's not because you... you went through this certain uh, phrasing of a prayer that God saved you. No, God saved you because He is good and He desires to save you. I want to tell you something, and, and please don't think of me less as a pastor. If it were possible for people to lose their salvation, I would have lost mine already. I just, I want to be honest. Probably over the weekend, if not much earlier than that, you know. Just in the last couple of days, If it were possible, if it depended on me to hold my own salvation, I promise you, I would have lost it a long time ago. Instead, what we find in Scripture over and over again is my salvation is not dependent on what I do. My salvation is not dependent on what I did. My salvation is dependent on what Christ did for me. That's why we read passages like Mark chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Listen to this. And he said, Jesus says, the kingdom of God 
is as if a man should scatter seeds on the ground. Now this is sharing the gospel, people hearing the gospel. This man who's scattering seeds sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. Now this is important. And he knows not how. Did the farmer make the seeds grow? The truth is, a farmer has no clue why that sprouted up. He just did his job and threw seeds, and, and God, through his miraculous creative work, creates the sprout. Our salvation isn't dependent on a, a farmer sowing seeds, an evangelist sharing the gospel. Our salvation isn't dependent on, on a thing that we do. It's dependent on God, our Heavenly Father, sending the Spirit to change our lives. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, a very popular verse. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, here's the clarification Paul wants to give in Ephesians. This is not of your own doing. If you write in your Bible, write down Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and go later and, and highlight this phrase. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The reason why we have confidence that we are secure in our faith is because we did not save ourselves. We don't maintain our salvation. We're secure in our salvation because our salvation is dependent not on us, but on God. Praise be to God that you don't have to make yourself saved today. Secondly, we know our salvation is secure because the gift is eternal life. Now think about this logic for a minute. If you like apologetic thinking and working things out, this just makes perfect sense. Our gift that we've been given is not temporary life. It's not life in the moment. It is eternal life. What is the definition of eternal? Does anybody know? I think we all do. Eternal means it never ends. If you have eternal life and it ends, guess what? That life is not eternal, right? So the gift that we're given over and over in Scripture is not one of temporary or pleasing life, but it's eternal life. Now, there are some churches, some people who interpret eternal life this way. Eternal life really is experiencing God's goodness in your life in the present time. It's living your best life now. It's, it's knowing that God has something good for you today, but there may be a time you lose that goodness. I tell you, there is never a time in Scripture that eternal life is equated to happiness. As a matter of fact, our eternal life begins with struggle on this earth. Instead, eternal life is exactly what we think it means. It's a life that does not ever end. What a cruel gift for God to give us something He calls eternal life and lets it cut short at any point in time in eternity future. No, our salvation is secure because our life is eternal. That's why we read in John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life. And now again, if you're writing things down or highlighting, write this down or highlight, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. It is impossible for someone who has eternal life to ultimately fall short of glorification with God. Again, in John 3, verse 36, we hear, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But listen to this. This is our walking away. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, those who walk away, it's evidence. Oh, it's evidence that they were not among us. They were not of us. 
Whoever believes in the Son cannot lose his salvation because salvation is eternal life, a gift from God. So what does this everlasting eternal salvation look like? Well, our eternal life, our evidence of this salvation includes continual fruit. Now this is where our application is going to get kind of personal for just a moment. If our evidence of salvation is continual fruit, that means our life will be marked by our Christian walk in everything we do. There's a struggle then, isn't there? Because if we're honest with ourselves, there are times that our life does not bear fruit. There are times in our life where, where though we confess Jesus with our mouth, our, our minds are distracted and they're elsewhere. We don't have a faith in Him in the moment and we've set Him aside. Scripture wants to give us this warning and that is this evidence of salvation includes a, a continual, perpetual fruit. I didn't have time to insert it into my slides this morning, but we read a passage in Sunday school, and and I I didn't go there, Monty, because I was going to steal it for the sermon, about Jesus and his way into Jerusalem before he's uh, getting ready to be crucified the week before he sees a fig tree. And that fig tree is not in season. It's not fig season, so it has no fruit. But Jesus goes to get fruit, and because it has no fruit, he looks at it and he curses the fig tree, and the fig tree withers. Now, we asked a question, is it the fig tree's fault? I mean, the fig tree wasn't in season, right? It's not the fig tree's fault. Why did it get cursed? In the context of it, it's a reminder that that as a Christian, we don't have a season to be in fruit and out of fruit, do we? Oh, a fig tree might, right? There are times in the middle of winter where it's not going to produce fruit. But God doesn't call us to have seasons of life where we dry up, does he? God doesn't look at us and say, you know, at at this time, maybe you can just set aside your faithfulness. No. God says, if you want to show signs that you are a believer in Christ, evidence of your salvation continues to bear fruit. That's why we read in John, again, 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We read this a minute ago. Whoever does not obey the Son, whoever does not continually show fruit, whoever does not perpetually remain in his faith, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The evidence of our salvation involves us continuing the course. That's why we read in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove, this is the evidence, prove that you are my disciples. We are called to continually be faithful. We are called to continually show that we are believers in Christ. We've got several other passages here, and we're going to skip some of them because I want to get on to this this last point. This evidence of salvation certainly includes bearing continual fruit, but here's the promise. Evidence of salvation includes a perseverance to the very end. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, can I promise you, you will go to your deathbed with a faith in Christ. We read principles of this in Matthew 24, 12, and 13. It says, Because the lawlessness was increased at the end times, the love of many will grow cold. But listen to what Jesus says. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Does that mean that you're only saved if you're a Christian at your last day of life? No. What this means is your evidence of salvation is that you stay the course. That you are faithful throughout your life. 
We read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, going on this theme, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that is a saving work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you will ultimately continue in that faith. But perhaps the most obvious example of this perseverance is the promise we find in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. We read, Paul writes, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Can we just break this down for just a minute? That word called, predestined, justified, all refers to your salvation in Jesus Christ. The one who God sends his spirit to save will be called to salvation. The one who responds to that salvation and is called will be made right or justified. And listen to this promise. The one who is made right and justified, he also ultimately glorifies. That is, spends eternity with him in Christ. We are called, we are justified, and the promise is you will persevere and be glorified. I love then the application that Paul says in verse 31. He asks this question. What shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God saved us, who can take away our salvation? And he answers his own question in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What can take away our salvation? Verse 37. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 38 and 39, I am sure of this, that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, have this assurance, you will then persevere evidence of our salvation includes this perseverance to the end so what is our application then in this belief this biblical teaching that if you truly know christ that you will never lose that salvation well application number one is to to praise our god who saves us and keeps us the first application is if you are secure in your faith in christ this morning There's nothing that you can do except respond in, Lord, thank you. I I couldn't do it on my own. Not only did you save me, but you've promised to keep me. And Lord, I stumble and I fall. Sometimes my faith wavers, but you've promised never to let me go. What a great, great application of praise. That's, I think, why the writer of Hebrews writes in verse 9 that we started off reading. Though we speak of this falling away, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. There's praise to be had that God saves you and He keeps you. I tell you, there's another extremely important application of this walking away, and that is the warning. The reason why this is written to the Hebrews to begin with. And the warning is that many of them were struggling and contemplating. I don't know if I'm really sure in my faith or not. I don't know if I like this new way of life or if I want to go back to the old way of life. 
I look at the fruit in my own life and I, I continually fall away or, or I give myself to God in these moments, but in other times I remove myself. In this moment today, I feel good about it, but tomorrow I'm just going to do my own thing. I prioritize God when I feel confident in, in prioritizing God, but I, quite honestly, there are other things in my life, other fruit that takes over. The application today is, is in the warning. Not only today, but, but in your life, you've experienced and tasted the things of God. You know enough to, to make you feel like you, you can do something good about your salvation. But the danger is that, that ultimately, without a faith in Christ, you'll end up stepping away. One of this morning, if the application is, Lord, I, I want to continually, always bear fruit and persevere to the end. But I want to submit today, not just with my lips, Lord, Lord, but with my heart. And I need you to save me. The point of application today really is in that warning that there are people who appear to be believers in Christ. Maybe even prominent Christian figures. There are people who sit in our pews this morning who have all the looks of a believer in Christ but are in danger of slipping away because they, they won't give themselves fully over. This morning, your point of application is, God, will you save me? Truly hold me and save me. Grow me and let me make you the, the number one priority in my life. Forgive me for trying to, to manage things on my own and, and tackle my own sin. God, I give myself to you. As we close in our time of, of prayer this morning, our invitation is just that. Will you respond to him in praising God for the security of your salvation? Will you surrender to him and call on Him to continually hold your salvation fast. Let's pray together. Father, we, we pray a prayer of, of brokenheartedness for so many that we know who at one time were walking in their faith, but Lord, for now, for some reason or another, have stepped away. Lord, while we pray for those individuals, we, we examine our own hearts and we realize that other than the fact that we're we're still going through the motions and are here. We're no different. Lord, let our, our faith not be something that we depend on ourselves or we, we try to, to do on our own. Lord, let us put our faith and trust in you. And when we do, send your spirit to make, make you bear fruit in our lives to continually hold fast even in difficult times. Lord, we praise you for our salvation. We thank you for, for saving us but also keeping us. And Lord, we pray that as we examine our own lives that we would be, be sensitive to the fact that many of us, Lord, need to truly put our faith and trust in you. And I pray this morning that you would send your spirit and do the work of salvation that only you can do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.